Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Claire. How are you tonight? I am wonderful. How are you tonight, Patricia? I'm doing well, and I'm so excited about our guest, and you're the one who told me about Michelle Masters. Thank you. My goodness, we're going to bring Michelle Masters on. Yeah, we are in just a few minutes, but we're going to, you and I are going to have a little talk with everybody first. But this show is going to be more like our supernatural health shows because it's more about self-awareness, consciousness, the ability to direct your own life. And, and we have Michelle Masters with us. She's going to give us all the information we need to know about what to do right now. So before we get started with that, what do you have going on? Do you have any new groups you're starting? Or let us let us know what are you doing? Yeah, right now um, online I've got a group reading at the end of the month, so people can join that. And then the first weekend of March, I believe, for those people in the Phoenix area, we will be doing a sound and energy healing and readings. And so I work with an energy healer, and they have these huge gongs and symbols. So it is really amazing. And that's up in North Scottsdale. So I invite everyone to come out. That sounds like fun. How many people will be there, or how many people do you accept into a group like that? Yeah, we we are limited to we have two sessions and each one has a space for 20 people. Okay, so it's first come first served everybody, so make sure you sign yeah, up if you're ticket. in the area. Yeah. Perfect. And they can do that on your website michelleclair.net? Yes. Absolutely. Great. And also if you want to Reach Michelle on SupernaturalGirls.com website. Michelle's contact information is all there as well. And I wanted to give everybody an update on PK because I've gotten so many emails and phone calls from people who want to know how she's doing. So I want to let you know she did have another surgery last week. Again, this is all back uh, fractures and things like that that have not been healing. So it's been extremely painful for her. God bless her soul. She's doing the best she can to get well and join us with her numerology and insights once again. So I wanted to let you know, please feel free to send your prayers to her. She's doing the best she can to recuperate and join us just as soon as she can. So also on the Supernatural Girls website, I've got a bunch of things for you to look at if you're interested in some 
health products. There are Tesla coils there for you to look at. Now, this Tesla company is quite interesting. They also have something called a med bed, and they are testing Parkinson patients on these med beds to see if they are improving. And I believe they have released one study so far on what's going on, how it's working. Check it out because you can also purchase from them, not from me, but directly from them, a coil, and you can place it right under your bed, and you can read all about it on their website. It's quite fascinating. So take a look at that. Also have other equipment and things for your personal health. We had Dr. Weber on the show from Germany some time ago. He is the inventor of a lot of low-level laser equipment, and one of them is in the form of a watch that you can wear on your wrist. It's amazing. So you can always go back and listen to that show. It's in the archive. Find out all about what he has invented and how it works. And there's also something called Energy, which is a system of breathing. They call it in Europe, where it's from, forest breathing. So it is photosynthesized oxygen and they have units for home use and then they have very high-end units that are gorgeous like little pieces of art and that's for the high-end spas but take a look all of it is for health and it's all leading edge so that's right on the front page of supernatural girls website and we also have books like opus mego cabalisticum which is an old german treatise that we had translated by the professor of German at Smith College. He did an amazing job because Old German is nothing like the German they speak today. So he did a great job with that, and it has never been translated before into English. So that's also on the website if you want to take a look at that. And now let's get to our guest. My God, she's amazing. And again, Michelle, thank you for bringing her onto the show and introducing me to her work. Now, Michelle so is an expert. I know. This is great. I feel like I'm going to learn so much. Um, Michelle's an expert at, yeah, I'm sure, at NLP. Now, NLP rewrites patterning. It changes the neurological associations that determine experience. And it gives you choice and control over what you experience. So there is so much work that, can be done with this, and we're going to find out from Michelle directly what that is. Now, Michelle travels all over the world teaching and leading workshops. She teaches NLP to students wanting to become practitioners, leads and facilitates family constellations, teaches courses in how to facilitate family constellations, and develops and facilitates transformational workshops designed to create Lasting changes, that's what we like, lasting changes for participants, such as Money Magic, love that title, and Clear Path to Love. Michelle Masters, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. We are it's an honor to have, to have you. you here. Yes, and we are sitting at your feet to learn all about this. But first of all, <laughs> how did you get started? started with NLP. What drew you to that? You know, I did a lot of things. Uh, it was basically wandering in the desert, um, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally trying to figure out like what had real meaning for me. 
And uh, sometime in 1994, someone suggested I go to this free seminar, and I almost left because there were, there were only two of us there in this enormous room, and uh, <laughs> these guys were doing a free seminar. It was like 200 people could have sat in this room, and there was two of us. And uh, and I looked at the brochure. They were waiting desperately, hoping other people would show up. And I looked at the brochure because they were promoting this training, and I thought, oh, I can't really afford the training. So I thought, I should leave so I don't get their hopes up. But the other woman said, please don't go. She didn't want to be the only person there. <laughs> so, so I stayed, and within half an hour, because I could feel things actually change. I had done like four years of therapy, which was really helpful. I mean, it gave me a lot of self-understanding and self-acceptance and emotional vocabulary, but it didn't actually change anything. And so during this, even just these little kind of parlor tricks they were doing, I could actually feel things change. And I thought, well, if they can do that in 15 minutes, what can they do, you know, for real? And Mm -hmm. so I thought there's got to be a way. And of course, there was a way. And so here we are all these years, 26 years later. Gosh. So you're impressed with... So you're very impressed, obviously, with the technique, and you love teaching it, I'm sure. Uh, What is it about NLP that makes it so powerful? Well, first off, you know, it's got a really bad reputation in some places, and it's deserved because the tools work. They were co-opted by a lot of people who wanted to try to manipulate. But I'll tell you why you don't have to worry about that later. Um, okay. And it's got the world's worst sounding name. I mean, neuro-linguistic programming. It's the most user-unfriendly name I've ever heard <laughs> for this magical mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I guess yeah. National Socialist Party was already taken. So the, the <laughs> next most unfriendly name was neuro- neuro-linguistic oh. programming. So, um, That's but funny. it is this amazing, it's this amazing stuff because so many people try to change, you know, for a while, my, my, my business, if I had a business name, it, it would be change without struggle. Cause so many people struggle without change. And so mm-hmm. many people beat yes. themselves up. They feel like they're broken. They're lazy. They're stupid. There's something wrong with them. And none of that is the case. And so when I got these tools and then later the family constellation tools, and then later some more quantum tools, these were ways to actually permanently revise the stuff that's in people's way so they can have the life they want. They can have, you know, the love, the sense of self, the ease, the joy, the, the success, the money, whatever it is that matters to somebody. They can actually have the life they want without having to work hard, without having to sacrifice. You know, all those things we think we have to do to have the life we want are not necessary. And the well, best analogy. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say that you brought up a really important point where people years ago were given things like The Secret and all these books came out on the Mm -hmm. heels of that saying, Mm -hmm. you can do this, you can change your life, you can have, look at me, I'm a millionaire with all this stuff. And people really went for it, unfortunately, for most people, it really didn't work. So it was discouraging and then people did feel like they were failures at it just like you said and yeah. it's it's so disheartening to see that because yeah. people really do a lot of people they're like look i really want the change but they don't know what they need to do to get there so here you come with this so this is wonderful yeah, yeah. because you know the in theory the that you create your own reality this is true 
and that your thoughts create your reality, this is true. What most people don't understand is the, the, the beliefs, the thoughts that are creating your reality are almost all not only unconscious, but they are wired in. And so, so consciously, you can pay attention to somewhere between five to nine things at any given moment. Okay? That's about mm-hmm. how much conscious mm-hmm. processing power you have. Unconsciously, your system is processing two million things per second. Wow. That's where wow. all your processing power is, is in your unconscious. And so most people don't understand what beliefs are. They think a belief that you can just decide to change a belief. Like, okay, I, I see I believe that. Now I'm going to believe this. And they think that will actually make a difference. That's like saying, oh, the brakes on my car are out. I'm going to decide the brakes on my car are fine. They should be fine now. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. You have to actually, this stuff that is our beliefs, our thoughts, is wired in. It's actually wired into your neurology. And it's unlike your phone, your brain is not designed to update itself. It's designed mm-hmm. to right. stabilize. It's designed to stabilize. And so most of the beliefs that we have are actually stored in a different part of the brain from the part of the brain that thinks I want to believe something different now. So it's a little like because of how your beliefs form, like they start even in the womb, and they're pretty much done by somewhere between three to six years old, like you don't get a lot of new beliefs after that. Wow. That's so scary. Your sense of you, I know. You, uh, that's, that's I would write, huh? right? I would yeah. write a strongly worded letter to somebody about it if I knew where to send it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the good news is wow. now we can change it, but you have to know how, because when these things get rolling, if um, once you hit like three to six, they are they're like reflexes; they're automated in there. You don't have to think about it. Like, how how often do you have to wake up in the morning and try to remember your limiting beliefs, right? You don't have to. Mm-hmm. No. They're right there. They're just there. Yeah. They're just there. And so um, one of the things, one of the ways I explain it, if you're, let's say you're 40 years old, right? Mm-hmm. If Imagine a 40-story building, like one story, one floor for every year. The first three to right. six lit right. floors of a building would be the foundation, <clears throat> Right. Mm-hmm. And and, yeah. and and the yeah. and the good chunk of that would be underground. Right. Kind of like your subconscious is underground. So yes. mm-hmm. most people are hanging out there on the 40th floor up in the penthouse and they get this idea. They want to change their beliefs. So imagine if you were to expand the 40th floor, but there's cracks in the foundation. Like how stable is that building going to be? Like Not it won't very. be sustained. No, it won't no. sustain. And so this no. is what happens. People try to consciously make a new decision, but that foundation that everything is sitting on is remains unchanged. Because to, to actually change, that. yeah, to actually change it, you have to access the parts of the brain that were developing at the time those beliefs got laid down and then create new neural associations. When you do that, Michelle, it's like does- rewriting. What? Sorry, go ahead. Finish what you were saying. It's like rewriting software, right? If you've yeah. got an issue with your software, trying to use willpower to rewrite your software does not work. Trying to do affirmations to rewrite your computer software does not work. I have tried. Trying to shame <laughs> your 
trying to shame your software into doing what you want it to do does not work, right? These are all the things we do to ourselves. If you want the software to change, you have to rewrite the software. Once you rewrite the software, though, it's different, right? It doesn't need yeah, to yeah. Encourage- I have yeah. a question. How does somebody have a belief when you're in the womb? Like, how does that even happen? You're, you yeah. are a little fetus. You're three months right. along, and all of a yeah. sudden you have a belief. How, explain that. Sure. Because everything that ends up as a belief starts as an association. So there's, so there's no cognitive thought when a kid is floating around in there. There's just experience, right? And it's very visceral. Mm-hmm. And so if uh, their mother or, or parents are having, you know, tension or stress, the, the little organism, the little forming being feels that. They don't think, they don't have thought about it. There's not like a, a part of their brain that can go, why my mother and father seem to be experiencing limitations in the possibilities <laughs> of, what's, of the abundance that's available. How sad. Right? There's no cognitive thought, but there's a visceral experience of I'm here and it feels scary or dangerous. And those two things get related. Like, okay, so life must be scary or dangerous, or I must be too much, or life is stressful, or I must be the cause of stress. There's not conscious thought. There's just association. Mm-hmm. And then later it becomes a belief. It's kind of like if you've ever had a restaurant that you like, and then you, get, you go there once and you get food poisoning, Ooh. Every yes. time afterwards, yeah, every time afterwards, if you think of that restaurant, what happens? You want to throw up and not go back. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's a one trial learning. And so when there's these kind of, you know, cases of stress or upset, the kid will, they feel it and they make an association. Often they'll make it be about them. Like, I guess maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe, um, you know. But there's all these associations that start to get made with life. Now, all of, and those associations are actually what become beliefs. Um, later, we kind of put more words and meaning on it, but it's just, I'm here, it's like this, these things must be related. Now, all of our associations aren't bad, because even the worst parents have to sleep sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Thank God. <laughs> so... <laughs> So all of us have some associations of, well, life might be okay and I might be okay, but then other associations of, oh, life must be hard, or maybe there's not enough, or you can't do what you want, or you have to sacrifice, you have to struggle. Life is stressful. And so our, the kind of the net out of all of these different, often contradictory beliefs becomes our worldview. Now, there were some studies done that I read on uh, children who were quite self-destructive, and mm-hmm. they were linking it back to the fact that the parents had discussed abortion. So yeah. somehow those uh, little babies in the womb must have felt that in order to bring yeah. that into a belief and then into self-destructive behavior. So that's really something. They're tied into their, they live in their parents, both physical and their mothers, especially physical, but also their parents' psychic field. And so if they perceive that their existence is a problem, they will often try to solve it by taking themselves out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. 
Yeah. Or by trying to not take up too much space or not need much or not ask for much. Right. To become the invisible child. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and and also what what you're talking about is so powerful because it's pre-verbal. How do you get to yeah. pre-verbal stuff? Well, that's what I spent, you know, a couple of years learning is how to access that because that's that's what makes a huge amount of difference in being able to change it for people. So I can I can kind of I can tell you how, but it actually takes a couple of years to learn how to do it well. Because there are certain physiological cues that can help you to determine when the patterning got laid down and stabilized. Um, Mm -hmm. Changes in physiology and um, and breathing, pupil dilation, skin color, where people look when they think about things. There's all these physiological cues that can help point you in the direction. And then you can help somebody get that from unconscious awareness into conscious awareness. And at that point when they're sort of re-experiencing it, you have access to the part of the brain that you want to update. And so, um, yeah. And then once you update it, that part stays updated. That's the thing. That's the amazing thing to me. So people don't regress back into the old patterns. They're able to maintain at a whole new level. Yeah. If they regress, it's because there's other beliefs also running or because there's a family loyalty thing running where it's like it's not okay to, you know, nobody else in this family is having a good experience, so who am I to have it better? But if those, without those, the patterning will just stay revised. Once you revise it, it will stay revised. And so when, when you do this work, do you have to have the person right there with you? Can you do this over Skype or how does, how can you do this? Oh, well, no, I just have to be able to see somebody. And so, um, you know, even before uh, the pandemic, uh, most of my clients, because I have clients all over the world, so most of my clients were on Zoom. But, um, but you know, in the last couple of years, it's been almost exclusively on Zoom. And I had to, to translate all my, or convert my workshops into Zoom as well. It works surprisingly well. Um, oh, good. So, yeah, once you know how to do it, you can, you don't have to be in the same physical space with somebody. That's great. Now, people are also yeah. already texting me. They want to know, how can they get in touch with you? Let's say they wanted to work with you privately. Uh, do you mm-hmm. do that still? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, and I, also, I, I don't, they wanted to learn it. I don't you have can learn a, from, they could learn from you. Yeah, I have, right, I'm I'm not currently teaching how to do it. I want to start that up again next year because I only have so much time. I have workshops where um, they're a cost-effective way to get a lot changed, like my Money Magic workshop um, is a way to get a whole lot of beliefs about money changed in like two days. Um, and so uh, we're going to be live streaming that in April, April 9th and 10th. Um, it's it's about five ninety five, uh, five hundred ninety five, and it's like having about ten NLP sessions. So it's a it's a very cost effective way to get a lot of work done. Um, and I also have a a longer version of online money magic. But um, and I can recommend people because I only have so much. It's hard for me to keep up with the demand for sessions. I'm, I do my best, and I have other people who who do brilliant work, um, who I can also refer people to. Oh, that's nice. Well, yeah. that's wonderful. I mean, yeah. to be able to clear up money issues in two days—that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. that is a miracle. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I get so many emails with like paragraphs of this happened and this happened and this happened. And we just had, I just started an online money magic yesterday and I've gotten already four emails and three Facebook posts about people who had unexpected money show up already. Right? It can happen that fast. That is fast. We like fast. <laughs> we do. We, we are humans. We want time. it today. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh Michelle, my goodness! Is there this anyone is so exciting that NLP techniques don't work on? Is there anyone? I know you said like if unless they have um, ideas attached to their family, like no one else is happy. Why should I be? Um, is mm-hmm. there? But other than that, I mean, if someone mm-hmm. truly comes to you with an open mind and says, "Hey," I'm ready to change my life, then you're mm-hmm. saying this is really doable. Yeah. So over the years, there have been a few people, you know, because I've been doing it for what, 26 years or more. There have mm-hmm. been a few people, like a handful, that um, for one reason or another, and I think I actually even talked to you about it, Michelle, in a session. I'm mm-hmm. like, because it feels like there's some sort of, I don't want to say quite soul contract, but there's some reason, some reason sort of outside of this realm that it's either not going to change or not going to change yet. So there are a a few. And when I say that, I'm sure almost everybody thinks, oh, that's me. But truly, that's actually really pretty rare. (laughs) It's really pretty rare. Yeah. So like 99% of people should be able to see success with this. Should be able to see shifts for sure. Um, yeah. Like one of the things that, you know, in on my money magic class, one of the things that I hear from people over and over again, you know, aside from the money is how much lighter they feel. Cause we don't realize how much we're carrying around of like doubts about ourselves and about our self-worth and weights we're trying to carry for other people. And, um, and fears about the world. I told you I was going to tell you George Washington's coat, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Yeah. Okay, so this is an actual story. I mean, this is a, as true as a story gets, this is a true story. So before the American Revolutionary War, George Washington was fighting with the British against the, in the French-Indian War. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a particular battle. He was an officer, and he was a mounted officer. Now, George Washington was a big guy. He was like 6'2", at a time when most people were about 5'6". And he was on oh. horseback. And the British were fighting in their traditional, like, you know, columns and, and platoons, whereas the French and the Indians were, hiding, were doing guerrilla warfare. They were hiding behind trees. So the British were easy targets, and especially the mounted officers. Like, you couldn't miss them. There they were, big as life. And the, um, one of the Native American leaders, uh, the, the Indians, he, he wrote later, we picked him out right off as a leader. And so they had all their sharpshooters trained on him. Now, they're about 30 feet away from him. All of them trained on him. All the men on either side, all the officers were either killed or wounded. Um, He had two horses shot out from under him. He had, um, when they were done, he had four bullet holes in his coat. That coat's in the Smithsonian, by the way. To a mm-hmm. bullet hole in his hat. He had bullet fragments in his hair and not a scratch on him. The American, like that American Indian found him years later and said, we realized we could not hit him. 
Huh. Why? That is some that is somebody who is not participating. He, he well he well George Washington explained it as providence. But I tell mm-hmm. you, when you get your beliefs kind of revised about yourself and the world, when you start to understand how much creational power you have, how loved you are, how worthy you are, you kind of become bulletproof. Mm, I like that. And and at that point, it doesn't matter what the, what governments are doing or shadow governments are doing. It doesn't matter what liberals are doing or conservatives are doing. It doesn't matter viruses, vaccine, because it once you realize that you are you can actually be okay you can be safe you can thrive you can be loved you are so worthy when you start to get that at a visceral level then life has to reflect that that sounds so elevated in consciousness and and i'm i'm sure people hear that story and think well that was george washington he was a big deal but mm-hmm. that's not me i'm just a little peon of a person so, but and you're saying anybody could be like George Washington. Yeah. Yes. Here's the thing, um, Patricia. Is it? It's Patricia, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we are the only species on our planet that questions our worth and our beauty. I swear hmm. to you, the trees aren't doing it. <laughs> I have four cats and a dog. I have four cats and a dog. <laughs> They're not doing it. They're not doing it. They don't wake up in the morning. Am I cat enough today? We're the only species, only species that questions our worth and our value, and then we try to prove it. And the thing is, mm. our worth is immeasurable. Like, if if the universe didn't want you here, you wouldn't be here. So if you're here, right. there's a place for you here. And yeah, I love the that. Universe, That's interesting. Yes. The universe didn't bring you here to suffer and struggle. Whatever there was to learn from that, that box has been ticked. Right. It's actually time for so us this to is, Yes, this is this is the purpose of making those changes so we can feel that goodness and that self respect and, and self worth. Well and, yeah, and I did want to sh- yeah. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I, I did want to share that little story about one of the times many, many years ago that I was introduced mm-hmm. to NLP when I worked for Bob Monroe at the Monroe Institute. Mm-hmm. And there were a group of Army intelligence officers there, and a lot of them knew NLP. And mm-hmm. one of them said to me, you know, if I were you... <laughs> Just to protect yourself, I would learn NLP. And he was very jovial about it, but he was serious at the same time. And I have heard these stories, how NLP has been used to manipulate people. And there's even been talk about it being used in the last two years to manipulate people around the vaccine and the virus and how Mm -hmm. it may have been used uh, actually, some technique broadcast uh, over the newscasts and things like that. So that that mm-hmm. does, does give me pause to hear that something as wonderful and powerful as NLP could be misused that way. But you have an answer for that. Yeah, I do. Because the thing is, those people who are using it that way, 
people who are trying to do power and control, who are uh, focused on power and control, are not people who actually feel safe and have power and control, right? Mm-hmm. If you actually right. had power and control, you wouldn't need to manipulate everybody else. Right. You wouldn't need to. And so these people, what, what, what's happened is they have a base level of fear and beliefs that, they, that they're not safe, that the world is not safe, and to be safe, they need to be in control and they need to manipulate. These are incredibly destructive beliefs, right? They, so these yeah. people are not having, they're not having a good experience. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because our beliefs have uh, our beliefs determine who we encounter, the kind of situations we encounter, the people we encounter, and the people we don't encounter in situations. So when you start to get your beliefs revised about um, so that you start to feel like the infinite worth that you are, the infinite eternal being you are. I mean, Michelle will back me up on that, that we're all eternal. We come from love. We return to love. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, when your beliefs start to be supporting that, when you're in line with the basic nature of the universe, then let them do whatever they're going to do. It's not going to affect you. I can't tell you how many, let's see, the what was it? The global financial crisis, the pandemic, all these things that were apparent that, that, you know, terrible financial things. It's never affected um, my income at all. Mm-hmm. Like, as a matter of fact, the first year of the pandemic, I had my best year ever. Um, and they have just gotten better since then. And so you will not, when your beliefs are no longer playing into that, oh, I'm in danger, people can hurt me, people can manipulate me, um, when your beliefs aren't there anymore, you'll stop encountering those kind of people. They, it's, you start to become invisible to them and they start to become invisible to you. And I don't just mean that on a metaphorical level like you're you're literally starting to inhabit a different vibration in a different world so i tell you this story um i used to one of my great joys used to be to buy uh electronics you know and there used to mm-hmm. be a chain of stores you might remember called uh circuit city and so yeah. uh whenever i whenever i needed something i would go to circuit city and uh so i would always have a good experience i'd walk in there'd be a salesperson there happy they would help me find something very quickly i'd get a good price and i'd leave like within 10 minutes with my new electronic friend and all was well so i had a friend who wanted to buy a cd player it tells you how long ago this was but i said well let's go to circuit city (laughs) and she said oh no that place is terrible their service is horrible and i said no 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 it's good you'll see so we go and for the first time ever in my experience it was like not a salesperson to be found I like oh, it was no. desolate. <laughs> I half expected to see tumbleweeds blowing down the aisles. <laughs> it took oh, us no. ten minutes to find somebody, and when we finally found that person, they were surly and unhelpful, and we left. And I'm like, that has never happened to me. So a couple weeks later, like I wanted something else, and I thought, oh, I'll go to Circuit City, and then I thought, oh, I don't know. I thought, you know what, it's, other than that, it was always great, so I'll give it one more try. I walked in, somebody was right there, they helped me, I found exactly what I wanted. Like, she had her Circuit City and I had mine. 
Hmm. I love so that. I have a similar her, example. Mm-hmm. When we go out yeah, to how, eat, how, if my husband is with us, we always get bad service. And the kids <laughs> and I have noticed this. That whenever, so it's like, he'll be like, we have certain restaurants that we won't go to with him because we know when he's there, we're going to get bad service. But when we go yes. without him, we get great service. So I 100% yes. understand what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So here's my and, question to both of you, yes. actually, about that. When you're used to having a good experience and you're with somebody mm-hmm. that's obviously used to having a, a bad one, what, how mm-hmm. does theirs get power over yours and manifest that way? Because we were going for her. Ah, okay. Right? This was for her. I was just riding shotgun. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. But what about with, with Michelle's uh, restaurant experience? Is that for your husband's? Because how did he take well, presents? Be... You know, I'm always interested in how that happens, how somebody's reality yeah. overshadows your own. It might, you know, that's a good question. In, it might be that his belief that he's not going to be treated well is stronger <laughs> oh, than no. theirs that they deserve good things. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, then the four of us who think everything will go fine and we should try it yeah. again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I... but. But that's, um, and when you guys go on your own, like, it's all good, yeah? It's all good, yes. Me and the yeah. kids, we, we just laugh. We're like, of course we had good service. Dad wasn't here today. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so we 100% noticed what you were talking about, but I will honestly tell you until this moment, I never attached the energy effect to what was going on. It was just a common, it's a common fact in our house. If dad goes and we go to this restaurant, we're going to get bad service. We'll go when he's not with us. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But now I know why. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Here's here's the other thing, because, you know, emotions are contagious, right? And I noticed when the pandemic started, like, the fear was so much more contagious than the virus. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, at first I was like, what the hell is going on? Like I, I the panic that was being spread, what, mm-hmm. I, I've since come to appreciate it. I understand now, I think, regardless of if there were some people who were wanting to manipulate, when I look back at what the last couple of years have done, it is amazing. Like, it is truly amazing. So, um, you know, I'm not, uh. I mean, all momentum came to a halt, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, everything stopped. That didn't even happen during the two world wars. It didn't stop to the, the effect, the degree it has now. And so, what we're seeing now is that people are, you know, that whole thing about a body at rest tends to stay at rest, a body in motion tends to stay in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. People are not wanting to start up the old momentum again. Like, they're not wanting to go back to jobs they don't like. They're not wanting to have to commute. Like, so many of the things that had just been running for so long, when those stopped, they're not getting picked back up. Like, everybody got a major timeout to reevaluate their life, to think about what they really wanted, what really matters to them. And the things, because it takes a lot of energy to start stuff up, the stuff that's going to be started up now, there's got to be a fair amount of desire for it. Because it's just too much work to start up something 
old that doesn't feel good anymore. Yeah, that's the good stuff. This is a whole planetary reboot. It is. You know, it's true, and it's a a spiritual reboot for many people, too, because for the first time in history, it didn't matter what church you went to, it was shut down. You were on your own to have a relationship with God, source, the divine, the universe. It was up to you. And so, yes, a planetary reboot and a spiritual reboot. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I was I was traveling a lot before the pandemic. And for the two or three years before the pandemic, I was noticing this massive acceleration in humanity's consciousness, like massive. And I kept commenting on it. And finally, I have a recording, an interview I was doing in February, February 17th of 2020, where I said, I do not understand what's happening. The acceleration in, in consciousness all over the planet, including places that are not normally known for being like cutting age you know, cutting edge, new age, places like Zurich and Hong Kong and Singapore, these like bastions of sort of old money and, and, and more established thinking, the hunger and the, the, the evolution was, the curve was so steep on the spiritual and the emotional evolution. I said, on the surface, everything looks the same. And at the rate this is accelerating, it cannot continue like that. Something has to give. And within two weeks, Mm -hmm. it was like, not the way I imagined it, but in hindsight, oh my God, it has made so much possible. And it flushed to the surface so much fear, fear of governments and shadow governments and vaccines and viruses. And, and because fear is the biggest thing that is in the way of us being the magical humans that we came here to be. And so flushing all that stuff to the surface, this is amazing. We're on a huge, huge precipice of a whole wonderful new world. Yeah, where we can be fearless. And that's the that's what NLP does. So it helps let go of the fear that was programmed in however it was programmed in. So it's a way of releasing yeah. it. Revising that's it. That's great. Yeah, because yeah. most that of those beliefs got laid, got laid down when we were you know, really little and helpless. Um, And then they didn't get updated. They're still running. And so we still hold Mm -hmm. ourselves as though we were small and helpless and at the effect of and not in control. Not the incredible, magical, creative beings that we are. Yeah, and there's a lot of women who get involved in relationships, leave the relationship, and then it just comes back in another pair of shoes. So yeah. uh-huh. they never get free of it. I call that the right. Yeah, I call it the yeah. 2.0. When you break up with the person you're with, to, and you think you're leveling it up, but it's just the 2.0 version of the of the first person. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because your beliefs about relationship are pretty much in place by age two. And again, oh wow. my God, they don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. God help us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, I would write wow, a letter wait. if I knew who to send it to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. And so, well, let's talk. Can we, yeah. can we talk a little bit also, because I don't want to take you off topic here, but yep. can we talk a little bit about the family constellation issue Absolutely. and how that feeds into this? Because you were mentioning that mm-hmm. that can be a sticking point that, that doesn't allow the change to happen. So... What is family constellation work? 
Right. This is actually the biggest challenge that I face when I'm working with people. Like it's much easier to, if someone had trauma when they were young, that's actually much easier to revise than this family stuff. So Family Constellations, technically, were started by Virginia Satir, a famous um, therapist in uh, oh, yeah. Santa Cruz. She was amazing. Yeah. yeah. So um, this German fellow, Bert Hellinger, he, um, he had been a, as a young man, he was in the Wehrmacht in the Second World War. He was captured really early, so he spent most of the war as a POW. Came out after the war, he became a priest, and he was a missionary to the Zulu for like 20 years, Catholic priest. And then he left the priesthood, and he, he was studying a variety of body-based healings. And then he saw Virginia Satir work. And he took what she was doing, which was, a, I think, a little bit closer to what we would call psychodrama now. Don't quote me on that. But he took it, mm-hmm. and over the course of 30 years, he started noticing the ways in which patterns in families would repeat. Um, like tragedies of the past would get replayed in someone's life. And he started to, um, so for example, uh, here's, a, you know, one of the tragic examples from fairly recent history is, you know, sadly, when Whitney Houston died, drowned in a bathtub, right? Within yeah. just a few years, I think it was only like two years, um, her only child, same thing, right? Oh, yeah, Not her daughter. Subtle, yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing. And, um, or the, you can look at the Kennedys. Um, so the oh, my God. Kennedy, That's a good example. Yeah. The oldest Kennedy boy was was he, I think it was Joseph, yeah, and he was mm-hmm. he was the one that his father wanted to become president, but he uh, he died in a plane crash in the war in the Second World War, and so then the attention shifts to John, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now there's a whole lot of speculation that the father of Joseph Kennedy, the father of all these people, had dealings with the mob where people may have gotten. Right, assassinated. Anyway, mm-hmm. so then John gets assassinated, shot in the head. His brother, Robert, gets assassinated, yeah. And John's only yeah. son, John Junior, dies in a plane crash, like his uncle. Very tragic. The yeah, only, but it's repeating yeah. the same pattern. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Teddy's the only one who made it, but, you know, he had a real drinking problem, which is considered kind of slow suicide. So um, That's right. And, that matches yeah. up with everything then. Yeah, So, hmm. but not so much the women. It was the men in that mm-hmm. family. And so how it plays out more often is uh, the more common version is if, uh, if our parents struggled with something, then quite often, if if we have it better than them, we feel guilty. Right? Why is that? Because mm-hmm. that's common. Yes. Why is it like oh, that? Oh, yeah. So as human beings, our strongest drive is a drive to belong, right? People will die to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, other, otherwise, war wouldn't be possible. Um, and right. so for some reason human beings compute their belonging in its crudest form. Like human beings compute their belonging in terms of conformity. So when we are like the people we come from, we feel like we belong. When we're Mm. different, our belonging feels threatened. So um, I had been teaching this for many years, decades actually, and I was listening to a podcast and the commercial came on in the middle of the podcast and they said, science statists are now talking about the belonging effect. Like, sometimes it takes science a while to catch up. 
<laughs> the belonging effect. It always does. And it was about how, you know, employees will, will work so much better and everything is so much better when they have a feeling of belonging. And so what this company was selling, they said, buy our matching hats and T-shirts. Because if they look they alike, they'll feel like they belong. Yeah. Now, all of nature is designed to produce diversity, right? There's no two snowflakes the same, no two anything that are the same. Yes. And um, that is actually the strength of nature. Sure. So here we are as humans, look like for trying to belong, which feels like you need to conform, and at the same time, designed to be unique. So in a family where everybody's happy, uh, this, people can can make do. But if there's pain in a family, here's the thing about human beings. When a child comes into a family, they feel the pain in the family. Like long before there's conscious thought, they feel the pain, including of people who died before they got here. And they mm-hmm. want to help. They want to help. There has never been a child born in the history of humanity who did not want to heal their family. Mm-hmm. There has also That's never quite been a, a child born. Go ahead. It's quite a task. I mean, just to think about the weight of the world on children's shoulders, that's amazing. But I know you're right because I've seen this with kids. Yeah. Yeah. Never been a child born in the history of humanity. Do not want to heal their family. There's also never been a child born in the history of humanity who has pulled it. Hmm. Uh Uh-oh. Michelle just dropped out. Welcome back, Michelle. Michelle Master. No, I know you're there, but Michelle, we yeah. lost Michelle. We lost the magician. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, well she'll be she'll back. Call back. She's in. magical. If anyone can come back, it's her. Yeah, no, well I'm sure she will call right back in. Isn't yeah. this fascinating? What a great, great conversation this is. I love it. I love it too but, because it just explains so much of our human challenges. And the amazing part it is really we have ways doesn't. we can work around them now. Well, that's it, you know, and it, it does take a practitioner who's experienced, I think, like Michelle Masters to bring us around so that we do understand it's a process. You're back. Sorry about Hello. That. Yeah. No problem. That happens sometimes. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, never been a child born in the history of humanity who's actually pulled it off and healed their family. And so... Right. What they do is they try in predictable ways. And the first way that a child tries to heal their family is through love. Like, I will love them so much that it will all be okay. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. their love is so enormous and because it's so pure, this feels reasonable. It never right. works. If it actually worked, every single parent would be instantly healed upon the birth of their first child. It would be like, oh, I thought I had... <laughs> But I was struggling and unhappy and in a loveless marriage, but we had a baby and I'm fine. Right? right. Childbirth yeah. would be the recommended form of personal development if it actually worked. Like we wouldn't need coaches. We'd just go have a baby. It doesn't work. <laughs> Some of you may have noticed. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the That's kid right. says, okay. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So then the kid says, here, I will take the pain. I will be the one with the problem so they can be okay. But this also doesn't work because you can no more take somebody's pain than you can take their irritable bowel syndrome, right? You can't do it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You can't right. be sad enough to make somebody else happy, and you can't, you know, pass gas enough to offer somebody else relief. Like, you can't take their pain. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the kid says, okay, well, then if it was rough for you, it will be rough for me. I won't have it too much better, I promise. Mm. And that's where most of us where, are. Where does illness fit in to this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of um, times kids will get sick, seriously ill, or even just, you know, a constant kind of chronic issue. Where does that, why? Why does that happen? Well, it can be several things, but quite often it's them trying, it's it's them trying to take all the pain on and put it in their body to be healed. Now, again, if it worked, who knows? Would it be worth it? I don't know. But it doesn't work. No, it doesn't. No. So it's a, this is, this, these two unique things about being human, one, that we question our worth, and two, that we feel really guilty if we have it better than the people we come from. So we will often unconsciously limit how good our business, or how, sorry, I was thinking of a story, how good our life is. I had this guy who was, he said to me, he was a client, he flat out said, it's like I'm trying to get my business to fail. And I said to him, well, whose business failed? And he kind of like startled and, and he said, oh, my dad's. Until then, he didn't mm. even realize. But because his father, you know, his business failed, he was going to tank his own business. Wow. Yeah. So we become and more you know, comfortable with failure kids. than anything. Sorry? We become yeah, more comfortable with failure. Comfortable. Yeah, if failure feels comfortable, it's either because you've got beliefs that support it or because it's running in the family. Mm. Now, what so if like, your parents, you're, you're, you're hooked into this family constellation, but you get older, your parents die. Does that uh-huh. help? <laughs> Does actually, that make a is, positive difference? Well, sometimes actually, yes. But I, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many clients who I've said once my father or my mother died, it was, you know, they feel guilty, but they say it was a relief. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're not in pain anymore. And it is so hard on us when the people we, there's nothing harder than the people we love being in pain. And quite often we will distance ourselves from them because it's so hard to be with the pain. Yes. And to see them yes. stuck and struggling. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very human thing. And so as I'm when I'm working with somebody, if they're still in their 20s, it's quite often really hard to get them to let go of the family loyalty stuff because people in their 20s still have hope they can heal the family. Mm-hmm. Um, the older somebody gets, the more obvious it becomes to them that it will never, ever, ever work. And so uh, I have more leverage with clients who are, you know, 40 and older. Um, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's still it's still hard to get people to let that go. And, you know, I do this work for a living, and every so often it's like it will happen. I'll wake up, and I'll have this weird feeling in my back. Now, I don't have back issues. I'll have this weird feeling mm-hmm. in my back, and then I'll talk to my mother, and she said, yes, my back's been out for days. It's like, oh, yeah, got the message, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so... These are not conscious. Nobody signs up to do it consciously, but we're so plugged in on the subspace channels. Um, it's the biggest Well, flaw. it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I used to know this doctor. She's unfortunately no longer with us. And she created this whole system around healing. And one day she was treating a patient, and this woman had horrible migraine headaches. And mm-hmm. nobody could help her get rid of them. They, she just suffered mm-hmm. with them. Well, Dr. Mary worked with her, and she said, what's this thing I keep picking up about some relatives and somebody who was shot in the head? She said, oh, well, my great-great-great-grandfather was Abraham Lincoln. Now, oh, oh, wow. Mary oh. continued to work with her. With her, she had something called consegrity. It was really an interesting uh, healing process and after that you know as soon as she talked about this and mentioned this was her relative the Mm -hmm. headaches went away and never came back so there it is again this whole fabric of connection with somebody from so long ago i know i had this woman who was referred to me by a doctor um she walked in my office and the minute she walked in i wanted to say what the hell happened to your mother but that would have like freaked us both out (laughs) <laughs> so um, so she was 38, and she the reason she was there is she had this horrible chronic back pain like her whole life, terrible pain. And um, she swore she'd never do surgery, but it finally got so bad that she broke down and she went to a surgeon. But they said, look, there's nothing we can do. There's no surgical cause. So that's when she got re- referred to me. So... As we're, we were talking, about a half hour in, I asked her something about her mother. I don't remember what. And she interrupted. She started to answer. And then she said, oh, do you mean my birth mother? And I said, oh, you're adopted? She said, yes. And because all my family constellation and 10 of them were on high, super high alert. I said, yeah. Do you know anything about her? She said, well, I only found out two years ago. Now, she'd had this pain her whole life. She said oh uh, she was murdered. She said she was murdered. <gasps> and I said, murdered. I said, murdered how? And she said, blunt trauma to the head, and her throat was slit. Hey. So all all head-neck trauma, right? Yeah. So because as, a human, as human beings, our drive to connect to our family is so strong, if we can't connect through the front door, we will often connect through pain. And so wow. this was, without her realizing it, this was her way of connecting to our mother. So we did some work there in my office to connect her more directly to her mother. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden she looked at me, she turned her head from side to side. She said, that's odd because the pain was gone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just gone. And so a couple years later I was in target and uh, somebody came around the corner with their shopping cart and shrieked and started running at me. And she said, that's her. <laughs> that's her. That's the lady who changed my life. And as much as I'd like to take credit for changing her life, it was actually the getting to connect with her mother that made the difference. And here it was years later, it was still gone because it had never been. Right. So that is most of us have a more subtle version of it, but almost everybody I meet has one layer or another of just running. Now, do you think that a lot of illness is connected this way? Because that would make sense. Yeah. I wouldn't say all, but I would say probably a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I had a woman who had me do a constellation for her mother who had been diagnosed with stage 4 brain cancer, inoperable brain cancer, and the doctor said she wasn't eligible for any clinical trials. 
And so they were in Australia. So I was doing this work in the U.S. They were trying to watch through Skype. And so here's this poor lady. You know, she's got stage four terminal, well, what they deemed as terminal brain cancer. She's trying to Mm -hmm. watch this thing in Skype happening in America where I was doing a constellation. Now, in my head, when somebody's trying to make an early exit like that, um, I get really curious about who died young or tragically in their history. And it turned out her father had died when she was four years old. So, uh, yeah, so what I did was we had a representative, someone who didn't know anything about the history, but who was representing the woman with the tumor. And um, I put in someone to represent, again, these people don't know who or what they're representing, but I put in someone to represent that woman's father. And the representative for the woman with the tumor immediately turned and ran to him, threw her arms around him, and started to sob. Oh, yeah. And so what we did was let them, you know, finally have this connection because this is actually what this was about was her wanting to connect with her dad. If she couldn't do it in life, she was going to die to be with him. So it was very, it was very sweet. We ended the constellation. She didn't really understand what had happened, but um, because, you know, it's hard to understand even when you're in the room with it and your brain's functioning, much less mm-hmm. when you were in the situation she was. But then two weeks later, mm-hmm. I get an email from her daughter saying that the doctors had changed their mind and she might be eligible for a um, clinical trial. And then another two weeks later, I got another email that the doctors were thinking maybe she wasn't stage four. Maybe she was only stage three. Wow-wee. <laughs> oh, yeah. how wonderful. So, yeah, a lot of illness, yeah, you can't guarantee that. That's not always true because everybody has their own, everybody's individual, but there is, there's so much uh, that we're carrying that we're not even aware of often. Yeah. And as you mentioned, when people do this work, they feel lighter because this, Mm -hmm. these patterns are so heavy and dark and difficult. Yeah. But yet yeah. we're at the effect of them. And most of the time we don't even realize. It just feels like that's the way life is. And you don't notice until it's gone how much work it was. Right. How hard it was making life, yeah. Right. Boy, oh boy. So when you think about these, these people that you've helped over the years, and you've given us some wonderful examples, anybody who really surprised you when you did the work with them? Oh, probably that file. There's like thousands of those, though. So, um, surprise me how? Just that you you might have thought. I don't know if they're going to be able to come through it. Maybe their family constellation issues mm. were so deep. Uh, mm-hmm. Something that you thought might have prevented them from actually getting a full healing, but they managed to do it anyways. Well, you never know. You know, you always hope. I had a woman whose daughter had attempted suicide on multiple occasions. And Mm. she was working up to it again. Like she was pretty clear she was the, uh, she was headed out. And so the mother and the daughter were both pretty clear. She was, she was going to make it, you know, final. And um, so I said, well, I don't know what we can do, but we'll give it a try. And so what I was seeking to do in the constellation was to find out, you know, kind of on whose behalf, like who was this, 
who was this young woman trying to take herself out for? Like, who was she either trying to join or be like or carry something for? Um, and we, so with the likely people, the people who had died, I had them in the, when you do a constellation, people are typically, the observers are sitting in a circle and you're kind of working in the middle and you have, as I said, people represent members of the family. So I had some people laying down representing the the people who had died, you know, tragically and the representative Mm -hmm. for this young woman, because the woman wasn't there because like, she's on the other coast or were in the Midwest. I think she was in the Midwest. But I had her mother's permission to do this on her behalf. So I had a representative for the young woman. And all that woman's representative wanted to do was go lay down with the dead people. And so um, finally I said, okay. Like her mother was horrified. But I'm like, <clears throat> I'd rather her try it out here in a certain sense and let her see if that's actually the right place for her. So she went and she kind of laid down there among the dead people. And at first she felt this great relief. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it became obvious to her and the dead people like that that wasn't actually the right place for her. And um, she started to get restive. And and finally she, um, I can't remember because it's been a couple years, but she said, "I, I think I want to get up. And so she got up and she started then to say, I'm realizing I have a body. And it was um, this really kind of sweet thing. So that was like a Saturday night, I think. And the next day, the woman's daughter did try. Uh, You know, she did attempt again, but it was kind of half-hearted. She didn't actually die. And as she was in the recovery room from it, she said to her mother, I'm starting to notice I have a body. Like, like word for word, what had come up in this session, in the in the constellation. Oh, my gosh. She said almost exactly That's the surprising. same thing. Yeah, yeah. and she said, yeah. I, think, I think I'm done with that. I think I'm ready to be here. So she had a lot of healing to do because there's, you know, consequences to when you do that stuff to your body. But, like, her her attitude kind of permanently shifted. So, you know, those kind of stories, they get your attention because the consequences are kind of high. Um, The other one that I will say, this was probably the hardest constellation I ever did, was for a woman who, when she was 18, she was attacked, gang-raped, and beaten and left for dead. They shattered her pelvis. Um, (sighs) She she was pregnant as a result of the rape. Um, Oh, my God. And she was in a cult. She was in a coma for six months. So, um, yeah. And and they had to, uh, uh, while she was in the coma, they had to abort the child because because her pelvis was shattered, there was no way that she could carry the child and deliver the child. So um, when I was doing the constellation for her, I knew this was not going to be a constellation that had a happy ending. There's no happy ending, but... There was a certain way in which, and she has recently just passed. This was 20 years ago, but she has recently just passed. So I I feel a little bit better Mm -hmm. about sharing this story. But but she was, she just lived in utter terror and she she looked feral. She truly looked feral. Mm -hmm. And so as part of this constellation, I had representatives for the three rapists. And instead of using a representative, I had her do it. Because it was important that on some level, and 
And this was really hard. As I said, this was the hardest one I ever did. But it was important on some level for her to stand across from them. And we did some acknowledging of, yeah, you attacked, you, you beat me, you raped me, you left me for dead. And there was something, so there, like I said, it wasn't going to be a happy ending, but there was some acknowledgement of what happened. It also seemed to be some family history. It seemed like she might have been replaying something that like her father, her father had been in the Second World War in Asia. And, you know, where there's war, there's rape. Oh yeah, yeah. In, inevitably, um, mm-hmm. and that includes that includes U.S. troops as well. Uh, and it looked like she might have been kind of that might have happened, like his platoon, like he might have been part of something like that. And so she was trying to carry his guilt for that by getting like identifying with the victim. So mm-hmm. anyway, so that was we we did that. They left. Um, about a couple months later, we were doing another of those evenings and somebody said to me, gosh, so-and-so looks so different. And I said, she's not here. And they said, she's right there. I did not recognize her. She looked like an entirely different person. Oh, she, my like, goodness. Her, and and I, I went up to her and I said, you look like an entirely different person. She says, everybody keeps telling me that. But she... <laughs> Like her entire face, her body, everything. She wasn't had didn't have that feral quality. Like it was the most striking transformation I'd ever seen. How so exciting! That one surprised oh my me. gosh! Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my! Wow! Yeah. What great work you're doing, Michelle. Now, a lot of people I hear this from, and I don't know if you both hear this as well. I feel like I don't belong here, like on the planet. Yeah type of thing mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. where does yeah. that come where from i just heard that this weekend i just heard <laughs> that this weekend at a group event yes um i mean i'll speak with the lady i was just with this weekend she um she literally i felt like she kept saying i just don't belong here i feel like i'm being forced to be here like to work off karma or you know um things like that and um but i but i had to tell her it's no accident that you're here nobody is here accidentally and um i don't actually believe in karma in the sense that someone did something bad to me so now i'm going to do something bad to them and i mean that's just a terrible cycle i believe in it's more like like attracts like if you're a drug dealer shooting at a drug dealer you're probably going to get shot by a drug dealer you know what i mean but that's, yes, mm-hmm. I find people that feel like they don't belong here all the time. The other thing that I notice sometimes, they really resonate with other dimensions or planets as their home planet or an energy they're mm-hmm. more comfortable with. So sometimes planet Earth, it, it feels harsh. And if you're used to something where it's peaceful and loving and light energy, that's kind of what I've noticed people feel for in here. What about you, Michelle? No, I agree with absolutely everything you said, Michelle. And I will say that because this is such an amazing time in Earth's history, like truly unprecedented, there are a ton of, of you know, souls who are not, this is not their, their usual place to be, but who have come. Because, you know, if people... If people come out of spaceships and they look different, it can freak people out. And so there's quite a few souls who volunteered to incarnate in, even though they're they're not as familiar, they're not as it's not their usual hangout. 
But when you incarnate into earth, at least you look the part, you smell the part, like you don't spook the horses so much. And so (laughs) we have basically a lot of ambassadors on the planet right now who incarnated in to help with this amazing transition. And, and yeah, this is different. It is hard for them to adjust. Um, And they're part of what's helping this huge consciousness to evolve. Mm-hmm. So if you don't feel, you know, if this feels like it's not your usual hangout, it, it quite possibly could be. And you're here now, and nobody, like, nobody gets sent here on, like, work release, right? It is. Yeah. It, it's voluntary. Sure. If If you're here, like, you signed up to be here, and you were wanted here. Despite, even if your parents had stuff going on and, and, you know, they weren't, you weren't necessarily feeling wanted there. Like, yeah, if the universe didn't want you here, you wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a place for you here. But it is a harsh here. place. It is a pretty it, harsh place. And you both brought up some really important points, I think, because I think a lot of souls incarnate here thinking, oh, I can handle this. And then they get here. And things well, are a lot more difficult than they ever anticipated. I had a dear mm-hmm. friend uh, who was one of the last few 100% Blackfoot Indians and Native Americans, and she passed away fairly young. But she was, she and I were like sisters, but yet she isolated a lot, and she was comfortable with that, much more comfortable than than being with many people. So yeah, yeah it's, it's just such an interesting, I think, dilemma for people who want to come here and help from other dimensions or other places, and then they face what they have to face, and it is not fun. Right. Well, the good news is now that stuff that is so harsh, that stuff can start to get revised. That's what we have the tools now, like you know, with constellations or the 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 neuroscience change work. There are options now because before, you know, to get a whole new set of beliefs, you had to die and get reborn. And that means going through middle school again. And who wants to do that? But <laughs> now, no one. Yeah, nobody. But now we actually have the, the option as adults to change the stuff, keep the stuff that's working and revise the stuff that's making everything so hard so that it doesn't have to be so hard because this really is paradise. Once you've got a lot of that stuff cleared up, this is paradise. This is heaven on earth. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people don't see it that way. And it's obvious because mm-hmm. they're they're carrying all these other heavy weights yeah. that they yeah. shouldn't be carrying anymore. Yeah, that we I don't need any. I wish this was available. In, yeah, I wish this was available at school children age. You know, that this, I'd love to see this in the schools rather than the nonsense that's going on there now, but just think about how we could heal an entire population of children with NLP. Yeah. Well, free. it's happening. It's happening in the way, Is and it? especially, oh yeah, well, not necessarily in the schools the way you mean it, but things are markedly different. I mean, I only have to go back to this, you know, 70s and see how far we've come, how much better things are um, now than they were. And how much better they're getting, even though it looks chaotic. Like if you've ever remodeled any part of your house, you know from almost the day the remodel starts to almost the day it ends, it's like utter chaos and you wish you'd never been born. But then you've got yeah, something that's right. new. <laughs> and then you've got something new. And, 
And we're on this huge planetary remodel right now. Humanity is in this major, major remodel. And so it looks like chaos. But um, truly, I, I promise you, things are changing in wonderful ways. And every single person who changes this stuff for them, you don't, be- you cannot believe the ripples that you make. Because everybody here makes ripples. You, you don't have a ch- some people say, I want to make a difference. You got, you're going to make a difference one way or another. The only question is, what kind of a difference? Because everybody creates ripples. The thing is, are you creating ripples of kind of fear and uncertainty? Or are you creating ripples of well-being and happiness, right? So mm-hmm. every single person who, who gets their life better, who's having a better time, who's thriving, is better for everybody, And I would take that one step further and say not just better for everyone on the planet, but better interdimensionally, better for your ancestors behind you and the ones that are coming after you. I mean, truly, it's like lasting ripples. Yes. And it looks like people are turning, (laughs) turning, exactly, turning more towards their own independence. I mean, freedom is a big deal now. Instead of turning over power to these institutions and just blindly trusting everything the government says or everything the media says, you know, it's, it's all been exposed on a huge level, depending on how much of that you want to take in. But what it does do is give people back, I shouldn't say give people back, people can take their power back once they realize yeah. this. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot more. I think you're right. There's a lot more goodness that can happen with this. Because any time we turn our power over, we're in for it, right? Well, it's not what we came for. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. So, it's not Michelle, what do you for. think that, that our souls um, actually come here to learn how to step into our power? Or have you really thought about that? You know, that might be above my pay grade, so I'm not really <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. But, but what I do know is that we do come here to experience and we come here to create. I can say that pretty confidently, mm-hmm. um, that we are creators and that we're meant to be the divine creators that we are. And so everybody who steps into that um, is a blessing for all of us. Mm. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So the two big issues for a lot of people are money and love. And what do you find is in the way for people that are not either feeling loved or haven't found the right person to bring into their Mm -hmm. lives? What I can imagine a long list of blocks that you can identify. Yeah, well, the most most common are... um, there's something called imprinting, right? Like, so they -hmm. did these studies even with baby ducks. Like when the baby ducks were hatched, they had this study where there wasn't, the mother duck wasn't there. What they had was a yellow balloon that they pulled with a string and the little ducklings followed along. When those ducklings grew up and hit sexual maturity, they didn't go looking for ducklings. They went looking for balloons. (gasps) So, Yeah, this is why they raise, now when they raise condor, endangered condors in captivity, they feed them with condor puppets because before it was lab technicians that were raising them and the, the, they released the birds at sexual maturity and the birds would look for lab technicians, right? 
Oh, my so, God. Oh, no. <laughs> but we have the same, humans have the same thing. Our system basically takes a recording of the people who were taking care of us and raising us when we were little. And then the oldest part of our brain, the part of our brain that fires up chemistry, that's what it looks for. It looks for people mm. like that. So, you know, the oh, yeah, I married my father. I married my mother. And, um, that's really kind of basic primal wiring. So the, the, the adult parts of our brain go looking for a fine quality human being with whom we can love and grow and share. And the oldest parts of our brain, the parts that are in charge of the chemistry, go looking for typically mom or dad or the combo platter. And since that's the part that fires up the chemistry, I mean, how many people have you heard, yeah, on paper he or she looks really good, but there was just no juice, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That's, that's yep. because the brain can't find uh, some version of mom or dad. So that's thing one. So a lot of what I do with people is um, I end up expanding the range of what their system imprints on so that it can include people who are much more in align with who they their hearts and who their their souls want, right? Mm-hmm. So that's thing one is old beliefs about relationship and those old patterns that you grew up watching. And then... Um, the other thing is, you know, the sense of worth is so few people really feel how how beautiful and lovable and worthy they are. And so if we don't feel lovable, we often will not let other people love us. Yes, that's so right. those are the two biggest blocks. Hmm. So that's so, what I spend a lot of time with people working on, yeah. This can be changed, and that's the good news. Yeah. This can all be that changed. Is the good- Mm-hmm. With NLP. Yeah. Now, can people use NLP just on themselves? So once they learn from you how to use a technique, they can go home and use it, or do they always need a practitioner? Well, I mean, when I, I've been doing this work for, what, 26 years or so, when I have stuff up, I go see somebody else because it's mm-hmm. really hard to be conscious of your own subconscious patterning, right? Like even the best yeah, brain surgeon doesn't typically operate on themselves. Um, That's true. Having said that, I know there are people who will never make it to a workshop or never make it to a practitioner. And so for that reason, that's kind of why I wrote the the Money Magic book. Um, it's, it's Very few people actually make money selling books, but I made it so that there would be a tool for those people who will never make it to a practitioner or will never make it to a workshop. It's got four different processes in there. Even though it says money magic, the beliefs can be used, the, the techniques can be used to change beliefs on all kinds of stuff. So there's there's change patterns in there. If they get the audio book, they can just listen to the change patterns that will help to revise the patterning because there are ways that work and ways that don't. And so I've kind of set it up in a way that makes it more more a better chance that it can actually work for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Fewer, right. fewer ways it can go wrong on their own. So that's an option if they want. Um, you know, you can get the Kindle for like four ninety eight. the Kindle version, um, if somebody's strapped for bargain. cash. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want mm-hmm. it to be accessible for people. Yeah, that's wonderful. And now this is available, obviously, on Amazon. They can get the different yep. varieties of the book. And and mm-hmm. what about Clear Path to Love? Is that you designed that book the same way? 
Oh, I don't have a book on that. It's a it's a constellation workshop with all this constellation oh. work focused on relationships. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So okay, I have but people can get money issue. magic then. Yeah, people can get money magic. It's a very it's a very accessible, and so that gives them something that they can can do right away to start to shift stuff. Now I have a a it's a little bit of a strange question for you, but I really would like to know. I meet a lot of people who have partial memories of UFO experiences, mm-hmm. and the rest of it's buried away. Can NLP mm-hmm. help people remember? That's a good question. I've never tried. Um, it's possible, but I don't. I don't actually know because I've never had that come up uh, with a client. Mm-hmm. And what about just traumatic memories in general? Can NLP bring those to the surface? Well, that's a lot of what I end up doing with people. And only so that we can revise it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because what what typically causes the trauma is is the meaning that gets made. So So it's the association. Well, imagine two kids. One kid that has, like, you know, falls out of a tree and gets kind of busted up, and another kid who gets the exact same injuries, but because one of their loved ones beat them up. Like, those two kids, Mm -hmm. they could have the exact same injuries, but they'll have very different healing paths, right? Because of the meaning, the different meaning. On the one hand, it just feels like an accident, right? I was having fun, and I fell out of the tree. On the other hand, right. there's all this meaning about betrayal and what, it, you know, not loved and why would the people I love treat. And so the a lot of what keeps the trauma uh, painful and stuck is the meaning. And so revising that meaning can really help the stuff to heal in a way that leaves very little residue. How do you change the meaning of a loved one who abuses a child like that? What does it get changed into? Well, it depends. Like, it depends on the specific meaning the kid made. And, but this is what I end up doing with people, like, all day, every day, pretty much, is finding out what meaning that kid made. Because kids almost always, first off, make it about them. It's never about yeah. them. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's one of the first things is I have to make it clear, like, you know, um, that they were this way before you got here. They would have been this way if you never came along. Um, that is, wasn't about you. So that's that's one of the first things. And the other is there are ways to, to um, discover kind of what's going on for the parent that has them doing that, which also takes some of the pressure off their kid. It's like, oh, okay, no, it really wasn't about me. This is mm-hmm. actually about right. this. Um, and then um, some kind of basic like letting them know, you know, first off, you made it. Because when when there was something traumatic, like if an antelope gets chased by a lion and they don't get caught, they'll like shake it off and then they'll be fine. But human beings, they'll like remember the lion. They'll imagine more lions. And so we we kind of keep ourselves (laughs) like traumatized. So there's ways to let the system know, no, that threat's over. That threat's over. That's done. It's not going to happen. That's done. You can let that go. Um, You made it. Right, wasn't about you. These are some of the more common meanings that I end up uh, revising for people, but it does vary according to to person yeah. to person. This is great, Michelle. Oh my God, 
thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show tonight. I know how yeah. darn busy you are, which of course you would what be because you are yeah, you're doing magic here for everybody. This is real magic. Transformation thank like you. this. It truly it's just is. Beautiful. Thank yes. you. What a joy. Thank you for asking yeah, how do people find you, Michelle, if they want to reach out to you or see what you have coming up? Yeah, in theory, you could go to my website, michellemastersnlp.com. The contact form, I don't know if it's working yet, but you can always reach me at uh, michellemastersnlp at yahoo.com. That's my, my regular email. Um, or find me on Facebook, michellemastersnlp. That's great. Michelle, thank you again so very much. Unfortunately, we've run out of time because we could talk to you all night easily. So thank you. Thank you so, so much thank you for joining us. Love to you. Okay. Thank you. And we'll be thank back you. next week, everybody, with another great show. So be sure to tune in. Be sure to like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And until next week, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.